verse by verse. John chapter 2, we are going to be starting in verse 13. John chapter 2. Anyone need a Bible? Raise your hand. Anyone else need a Bible? You can raise your hand. Someone will run to you. All right. John chapter 2, verse 13. This is the Apostle John writing by the Holy Spirit. He says this, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, His disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for this word. As I read it this morning, I'm thinking it hardly needs an explanation. Lord Jesus, you, you've come into, you came into the temple and then you replaced it. You rose from the dead after three days. You ascended into heaven and now you pour out new life to us. And Father, you have called, you've called me to, to teach and explain. Even though as I read this, Lord, it's your word just by itself. It's just so rich. I just pray that I would not be a hindrance as I teach, as I explain, as I, as I, as I talk this morning, Lord. And just pray that you would speak through me, receive, Lord, that people would receive, all of us in here, myself included. I pray, Lord, as we were just singing all these songs all about Jesus, and Lord, continue to teach us about him. Holy Spirit, glorify the Father and the Son in this service. It's in his name, Jesus, we pray. 
Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So here, Jesus, at the very beginning of his public ministry, two weeks ago when we were in our last study here in the book of John, we read about his first miracle, changing water into wine. And we ask this question, why did Jesus start his public ministry with that miracle, changing water into wine? Why not raise someone from the dead or something? I mean, changing water into wine. We talked about that. Wine in the Bible, a symbol of joy and life. Jesus at a wedding celebration where the wine had run out. And this is why he began with that miracle the joy in life had run out in Israel and their relationship with God. All that was left was dead religion, empty water pots. That's what Israel's relationship with God had become, dead and empty. And Jesus comes in and he fills the empty water pots with wine. Jesus, in his public ministry, would be filling God's people with joy and life. And that's why John starts with that miracle. It's a foreshadowing of what is to come. Now, what follows immediately after that miracle is another event. It's also a foreshadowing of what Jesus' ministry would be all about. It will also be about restoring. So in addition to restoring and bringing joy and life back into the relationship that God has with his people, this incident that we we just read about this morning is about restoring the beauty and the holiness and the purity in God's relationship with his people. Because it had become corrupt. Not only was it dead, not only was it empty, not only was it lifeless, it was corrupt. And so John here begins, is beginning his book with these two, uh, these two stories about Jesus. And so he, we begin here in verse 13. It says, now the Passover of the Jews, the Passover was at hand. In other words, it was about to happen. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, every year, every Jewish male was required by Old Testament law to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. And in actuality, not only the men, but whole families came into Jerusalem from all over the world in obedience to God's law to celebrate the Passover feast. What was the Passover feast? It was a feast in which Israel remembered God's 
pass over. Two thousand years earlier, at the time that Israel had been delivered from slavery in Egypt, God passed over. And, and how did he do that? Well, the children of Israel were in slavery. God had told Moses to approach Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him that God wanted Pharaoh to let his people go. Pharaoh said, not a chance. Are you crazy? I mean, come on, just let 1.5 million person labor force just leave? Uh, no. Sorry, No. Specifically, what Pharaoh said was this. He said this to Moses, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Oh my, would he find out. (laughs) The Lord showed him who he was. He was the God of heaven and earth. And the Lord showed him just that. He sent nine plagues on to Egypt, each one designed to show Pharaoh who who was really in charge who was in charge of the water, who was in charge of the river, who was in charge of the frogs, the gnats, the cattle, the wind, the hail, who was in charge. He showed Pharaoh who was in charge. And the plagues were also designed just to convince Pharaoh, not only to convince him who God was, but to let his people go. After nine plagues, Pharaoh still would not let the people go. So God brought the tenth and final plague unto Egypt, the death of the firstborn. And he came to Moses, uh, God came to Moses and and told him uh, what he needed to do, what the people of Israel needed to do. Uh, God told him he was going to send an angel uh, to the land of Egypt to kill all the firstborn in the land. But God gave Moses instructions so that he, God, would pass over the homes of any family without executing that judgment that would come on the rest of the land of Egypt. He told Moses that every Jewish household should take a lamb in its first year. And they were to slaughter the lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, on top of the doorposts of their home, and then on both of the sides. cross and then that very same night when the angel of God came by if God saw the lamb rather saw the blood of the lamb on the doorpost he would pass over there would be no judgment Exodus 13 verse 13 God said to Moses that the the blood will be a sign Moses when I see the blood I will pass over you. And so that night, the angel of God came. He passed over the home of every Jewish family uh, where the blood was over the door, but he executed judgment on the rest of Egypt. Finally, Pharaoh relented. He gave in. He let the people go. And the children of Israel were delivered from slavery, from Egypt. And soon after that deliverance, God gave Moses further instructions. Every year, the nation of Israel would gather together and have a feast, remembering God's Passover. So here, Jesus, just starting his public ministry, 
fascinating to read this verse, verse 13. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. So Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Why is it such a fascinating verse? Because the Bible says that Jesus is our Passover. So here's the Passover coming to Passover. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says this, Christ our Passover was sacrificed to us, for us. He is our Passover, and here he is. He's coming to the Passover. So we've already seen in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist, not to be confused with the writer of this gospel, John the Baptist is at the River Jordan baptizing when Jesus approaches. And what does John say for all to hear? He says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The Bible says the penalty for our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ's blood sacrifice on the cross. He died for our sins. The blood of the Lamb was poured out for us on the cross. The Bible says that any man or woman or child who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, that blood was shed on the cross, will wash away their sin. And when God sees the blood that you, every one of you, many of you have, but you can apply that blood to your life by faith. And the Bible says that God, if you do, the moment you do, from then for all eternity, that blood, it speaks forgiveness. It, it, it speaks the fact that that blood has washed all your sins. Though your sins be red as scarlet, they will be made white as snow. How? The blood of Jesus. So Jesus, the Passover, coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. What happens? <laughs> he takes care of business. <laughs> and he does take care of business here. Verse 14 and 15 says this. Let's read it together. It says, And he, Jesus, found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip, of cords. Jesus? This doesn't look like my Jesus. Well, then you need to align your Jesus to the Jesus of the Bible. Please. He made a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. That word merchandise, it means like flea market. It means open market. Where things are bought and sold. In the book of Malachi, it's the very last book of the Old Testament. There's no prophetic word written down between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. In the New Testament... <clears throat> In chapter 3 of Malachi, verse 1, it says this, of Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, who was to come. This is a prophetic 
word from the prophet Malachi. It says, the Lord whom you seek, this is God speaking to Israel, will suddenly come to his temple. So that's what you just read about. That's what you just read about. It's a a fulfillment of this verse. Will suddenly come to his temple even the messenger of the covenant. What covenant? The new covenant. In whom you delight. Behold, he's coming. Behold, he's coming. So here he is. He's he's in the uh, the temple. And and what does he do? He, He begins to clean house. He he makes a whip. He drives the oxen out and the sheep. And he overturns the money tables. That's what you call holy anger. That's what you call wrath. The wrath of God. Notice how Jesus doesn't ask anyone's permission to do this. He doesn't walk up to the high priest or anyone else and say, hey, you know, there's some really uh, bad things going on in the temple. Uh, Do you mind if I just, like, make a whip and drive everyone out? No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't ask anyone's permission. Why? Because it's his temple. Can we put the verse back up, Sean? Malachi? He will suddenly come into whose temple? His temple. This is his temple. Jesus, it was his temple, but more than that, more specifically, Jesus is the temple. What the Bible says. Look at verse 19. Skip down to verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. Who's who's he talking about there? He's talking about him, his body. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Verse 21 says, he was speaking of the temple of his body, which would replace the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus was the fulfillment of the temple. So why does he get so upset here? Is he making a whip and driving people out of the temple? Why is he doing this? Well, Again, we read in the law that each year, every Jew was required to go to, every Jewish male required to go to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover feast. And you, could, you can't celebrate the Passover unless you slaughter a lamb for your home, your family. And if you, the, in, in the Old Testament law, if, if you were poor, you could slaughter, slaughter a dove instead. That's why there's doves in the scene too. And... So it's kind of hard if you're a Jew living in Italy, which there was at the time, many Jews living in Italy, to travel all the way to Jerusalem with a lamb. And so they sold lambs, they sold doves and oxen in the temple courtyard as a service to the people coming. The problem was is that they were requiring that all payment be in Jewish or temple currency. There's a temple coin. They didn't want the Roman coin. And when people would come in from all over the world, from, from Egypt, from what we know today as Iraq, Babylon, from wherever and they paid their money, 
they would have to make a currency transaction in which they got the temple currency and in doing so fees were charged that were incredibly uh, high I think it's Josephus that says almost 50% of the price was charged and so they were overcharging for these animals including the doves they were ripping the poor off man when you rip the poor off oh man does God take notice and so he's he's really upset here and he comes in and he just clears house And he says in verse 16, he says, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Now, we read here, Jesus referring to God as my father, and that seems normal to us. But 2,000 years ago, when he said this, it was anything but normal. No one referred to God as my father. No one. Not a single person refers to God as my father in the entire Old Testament. In fact, in the Old Testament, the only one who ever uses the phrase my father as a reference to God is God himself. The first time is in Psalm 89, which is a messianic psalm, meaning a psalm which is also prophesying about the coming Messiah. Psalm 89, verses 26 and 27, they say this, He shall cry to me, He being the Messiah. You are my Father, my God, the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. It was speaking of Jesus. That's the first time. The second time the phrase, my Father, is a reference to God. It's also God speaking, but he's, he's speaking uh, in Jeremiah chapter 3. He's referring to what believers in God will call God after the Messiah has come. You didn't walk around calling God my father. If you did, people would think, well, you like the Messiah? Who are you? And so he, he, he says this in verse 16. This is a dramatic moment. Take these things away. Do not make... My father's house. What did he say? What did he say? Is he calling himself the Messiah? Yes, he was. So, okay, then, let's take a step back and and, and look again. What do we learn from this incident? It's It's intense to say the least. And we do see the, a similar incident at the end of Matthew, but then, you know, it's really the book of Revelation where Jesus is conducting himself in this manner. The final judgment. What is going on here? And how, do, how can, what, what, we, what can we learn from this? How does it apply to us? So, Take a step back. We know from the gospel, we know from the whole New Testament, everything spoken of Jesus, he makes a broad, open-ended appeal for all to come to him for salvation. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Many of you are familiar with this verse. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
And we see all types of men, women, and children coming to Jesus and finding rest, finding salvation. That, that should be a comfort to you. Murderers coming to Jesus. Thieves. Liars. Racial bigots. Religious bigots. Adulterers. Drunks. Greedy people, violent people, sexually immoral people, cowards. Cowards? Yeah, them too. And come to Jesus. They can be saved. Proud people, puffed up, judgmental, arrogant, religious people coming to Jesus for salvation. You're going to see every kind of person, every kind of ugliness in their past and their present coming to Jesus. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus really means that. He really does. He means that. If you're here this morning, I plead with you, if you will come to Jesus, he'll accept you just the way you are. He really will. If you never have, he really will. But listen, he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Stay the way that you are. What does all this have to do with John chapter 2, Jesus cleansing the temple? Well, everything, because when you ask Jesus into your life, you become the temple. In John chapter 7, a few chapters from now, Jesus comes into Jerusalem for another feast, the Feast of Booths. And at the end of the feast, again, inside the temple grounds, Jesus gets up for all to hear and he declares, He who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then, the very next verse, verse 39, it says this. This he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified, meaning he hadn't been ascended to heaven. Listen. We already read in John chapter 1. It says, to those who believe in Jesus, verse 12 of John chapter 1, to those who receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gives them the right to become children of God. And how does he do that? Because at the moment of receiving Jesus, they actually do receive him. The Holy Spirit invades their life, takes possession forever. And you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Do you not know that? This is the Apostle Paul speaking. 
He goes on in verse, 1 Corinthians 6.20, the very next verse. He says, therefore, would you glorify God in your body? You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Would you please glorify God in your body? God accepts you just the way you are. But he loves you so much, he's not going to let you stay the way you are. And after you come into his kingdom, you're a child. And one of the privileges of being a child of God is that you will have God himself put a finger on that area of your life that's not okay to live inside the temple of the living God. Not okay. And he'll put a finger on it. And you know what's so crazy? He's so patient. He's so unbelievably patient. The Bible says that, actually has another word for it. It says he suffers long. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 says God's love suffers long. He'll sit there. You come into the body of Christ. You came in with repentance. You came in saying I'm giving you my all. But you find it very difficult to give up certain areas of your life, particularly the ones that you can keep secret. So you come to church and you start playing church, but keeping an area of your life in secret, even though God's putting His finger on it, He's suffering long with you, He's, he's patient with you. And after a while, you're like, I guess he's okay with it. Well, guess what's going to happen? He's going to come in, and he's going to come in with a whip. And he's going to clean house. And you're going to find yourself like, oh, wow, have I been chastened? and Have I been disciplined? Yeah, you have been keeping inside God's temple something which is really to the outside world looking at the temple, they're like, wow, that's pretty bad. And even when the outside world doesn't see, more importantly, God sees it. And he's like looking at it and goes, this is not acceptable. This is my temple. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Therefore, glorify God in your body. Listen, if you're here this morning, Don't mistake God's patience and love in your life for his acceptance of that thing in your life, which you know has no business being in this temple. So, you know, Jesus comes into our life, and oh boy, do I speak from experience here. He comes in with a whip, and he overturns tables. He overturns tables in our life. Things in our life are overturned. Relationships uh, uh, get messed up and overturned. Jobs get overturned. Uh, just think, neighbor in our house, things get overturned. Something may get actually overturned in your house in a fight or something. Things get overturned. And what do we do? We get down and we shake our fists at God. God, how can you let, I'm, my life is such a mess. Look at all those other people in church. Their lives seem so good. Why, you know, why are you doing it? Why are you doing this to me, God? 
The problem is we decided on our own, apart from God's word, what is acceptable in God's temple. But we don't decide what's acceptable in God's temple. God decides what's acceptable in his temple. And therefore, I, I, I plead with all of you this morning, and man, I speak to my own heart as well, if, if the Lord has been putting a finger on something in your life, cast it out of the temple. Now, I want to make something very clear. I'm not talking about, you know, when you yelled at your husband this week, but you followed up asking for forgiveness, asking him for forgiveness, asking God for forgiveness. That's not what this is talking about. This had been going on for a long time. God's love suffers long. They had been going into the courts, and the scholars actually think uh, this actually started outside the temple courts, and it came closer, creeped in, and then it was okay. They weren't ripping people off at first, but then they started ripping people off. And the Lord, you know, had, had made it clear. The priests knew it was, uh, uh, it was, the priests knew in their hearts this was wrong. They come up to him in uh, verse uh, 18 and they say, what sign do you show, us, show to us since you do these things? Oh, that was such smoke and mirrors. They knew exactly what was wrong and they're just trying to deflect the blame. Well, you know, I don't know if God is, really exists. You know, what about the person in the middle of the jungle who has never heard about Jesus? No, no. You're just trying to deflect from your sin. That's what you're doing. That's what they were doing. That's what we do too. I love, I love, I love, I love. And I'm so thankful that Jesus takes empty pots and he fills them with life and joy, like he did with that first miracle of changing water into to wine. I'm thankful for that. But you know something? I am so thankful that he insists on keeping my temple clean and beautiful. And again, I'm not talking about just that, 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 that sin that we stumble over and, and we ask for forgiveness. I'm talking about the stuff that stays there, just like this had stayed here for, for some time, and we're just not letting it out. He comes and cleans house. There's a, there's a verse in, also in the Psalms. I love the Psalm. A Psalm a day will keep the devil away. It really will. If you're willing to really chew on it and step into the shoes of the psalmist. Oh, worship the Lord and the beauty of his holiness. That never, can, never let anyone try to tell you that holiness is not beautiful. Holiness is beautiful. It really is. I'm not talking about legalistic holiness. I'm talking about a life that is committed to God that because of the grace of God and the love of God that has been poured into that life, there's a response of love and of holiness. That's beautiful. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Tremble before the Lord. The fear of the Lord. A healthy fear of the Lord. And you know, we, we, we began, we, we kind of discussed this subject in a way when we uh, discuss 
John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the, the glory is, uh, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And, 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 and we have to be in balance with grace and truth. Some of us want to have all grace, but to stay the truth needs to stay away. No, the Holy Spirit brings those two in balance. And, and, and only the Holy Spirit in our life, only God in our life can bring the water being poured into our pot, life and joy, bring that into perfect balance with loving holiness and the beauty of his holiness. The wonderful thing is God is your temple. He wants life and joy in the temple. He wants the beauty of holiness in the temple, and he does it. He does it. So this wonderful scene, what does this have to do with Jesus' ministry? Why is it here at the very beginning? Well, it's a foreshadowing of what's to come. He's really concerned. I'll leave you, I'll leave you with this. He's really concerned <coughs> to fill your empty water pot with life and joy, but also he's really concerned about the purity of his temple. You're his temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to call the worship team up. You know, tonight we have communion, and communion is a time of remembrance. It's a time of remembrance where we remember the blood that was poured for us, where we remember the broken body that has given us, because of it, the life and the joy, and it's given us a beautiful life holy life. And tonight, actually, what we do every other month, we have communion on a Sunday night. We have an open mic here. Not, not having to, you're not hearing from me. You're, you're hearing from just each other. Just testimonies and praise and spiritual gifts which are evidence of the beauty of that holiness and of, of the life and joy. And, 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 I, and so I invite you out tonight uh, with that. That's communion. But I just want to just end now with worship and prayer. If you've been asked to pray, please come up. Look at it. If there's something in your life and you know if Jesus were to appear in the flesh here into his temple, he would overturn that. And he's put his finger on you and he's been patient with you. If there's some area like that in your life, come on up. Let's just pray about that. We can't be trans- if we can't be transparent here, we can't be transparent anywhere. We're the family of God. We, uh, sometimes we do need help. We need help from the body of Christ, and we're the body. We're the family of God. Or, if you're sitting in here this morning, and you have never in your life come to the place where you have received Jesus into your heart, life as king and savior never done that you've never had that experience where the bible says that the holy spirit invades possesses and you become a temple of the holy spirit come on up it's a prayer of faith we can pray through that so why don't we stand i'm going to close in uh, in prayer And then we'll worship together. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for all of this, Lord. This picture. This picture of empty water pots with water being poured into them and then changed to wine. 
representing the life and joy that we have in Christ. Lord Jesus, you tell us in your word in John chapter 10 that you come not only to give us life, but life to the fullest. And that's what you do. You build us up. Pray for anyone here this morning who needs to be filled up with that life, Lord. She would do that. Lord, I also just thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you're serious about the beauty of your temple. You've given us this unspeakable privilege of being your temple. And we thank you for your love. We thank you for your patience. We thank you that we came to you, Lord. Murderers, robbers, thieves, religious bigots, ethnic, racial bigots, greedy, cowardly. You accepted us, Lord. But Lord, we want to reflect your beauty. Father, I pray, Father, whether there's anyone in anyone's life if you've been putting your finger on that place, that, that table, that thing, that you, you're going to overturn it. Lord, I just pray for them, Lord, that God, you draw them in, they do business with you get that out of the temple, Lord, and I also pray for anyone who's not received you, who wouldn't leave here today, Lord, without embracing you and taking you in by faith, Lord Jesus. I do pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.